this is going to be kind of a weird episode. I'm all by myself. Sarah came down with something. She's not feeling great. I hope she gets feeling better soon. But, you know, show must go on, right? So anyways, you get an episode where it's just me for the first bit. Good news is you'll hear from her in the middle bit for the interview. But let's get this started, however weird it is. Welcome to the Pretty Happy Podcast. My name is Sam, my wife's name is Sarah, and we are the parents of Zoe, a child with Rett Syndrome. Welcome back to another great episode. And yes, this is going to be rather odd because I have never, I've never recorded an episode all by myself. I'm sitting in our little office right now talking to myself. It's really quiet. It's just weird. I've, I've never done this before. But the rest of it's all going to be me. All by myself. Maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe this is a really bad idea because now uh, I have no reason to hold back. Before, the reason was uh, embarrassment in front of my wife. Not, not embarrassment in front of uh, anybody who may listen to this podcast. No, literally just in front of my wife. We've only been married for six years, uh, and I'm obviously still embarrassed in front of her. I've got a ways to go before 15. 15, I think, is when it finally all wears off. If I'm if I'm not right on that, let me know. If it's much later than that, uh, I would love to hear uh, anybody who is much more senior in relationship world, much further along in relationship world would like to let me know when it wears off isn't gonna wear off soon maybe if I stop talking it'll it'll just not happen because I, I think it's starting to get weird now okay I've got a fun little anecdote for you story anecdote I don't know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna use both of those interchangeably interchangeably as you've probably figured out over the course of this show, we have run into some issues. We've run into some issues with our local school district education system. We've butt heads a couple of times with them. And that's okay. That, that happens. That happens with parents and, and administrators and, and educators. That, that's fine. So long as, as we can have a, a good discussion and and find what is best for the student. In in all reality, that is all that Sarah and I want for Zoe is just the best experience for her. I hope that's obvious. If it's not obvious, we need to do better. But that's all we want. And in fact, it's not even just the best experience for her. What we want is as similar of an experience to that of her neurotypical peers. We want her to experience as much as possible. And I'll, I'll tell you what, thus far in kindergarten, whenever I talk with Zoe after school, she says that she had a great day. 
She's she's had fun at school. She's hanging out with her friends, and we we hear reports back saying that there's this group of kids who who enjoy spending time with her. It's it's great. It's really positive. So I, I don't want this to come across like I'm just ragging constantly on on uh, Zoe's school. That's not it at all. We just don't see eye to eye on a few things. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty details of what happened in this specific experience because that doesn't really matter. But the long and short is going into this school year, we had asked for specific individuals to take training, training on how to effectively communicate and use eye gaze. It's not a lot. It's really not a lot that we're asking. It's a very similar training that Sarah took. She then passed the information on to me. We quickly realized that we were the ones that were hindering Zoe's communication growth. And we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't gone through the training. So we sat down in our IEP meeting at the beginning of the school year and said, look, this is what we want for Zoe. We want success and we think she's going to find the best success if those working with her, those working directly with her, take this training. This training worked great for us at home. It worked great for Sarah, and Sarah was able to communicate the information to me, which I, I think says a lot about the effectiveness of that training. If, if somebody can take that and then teach another person, that's huge. So we figured if it's working at home, it's working for us as parents, it, it, it'll work for the school and the district. And the school and the district said yes. And we were excited about it. We were like, great. Take the training. It's going to be good. Well, <laughs> three months into this school year, we find out that no one, not a single person has opened up the course. Okay. So not only has nobody taken the training, they haven't even been bothered to just open up the course. It's online. It's, it's very easy very easy to do. And I, I get it. Teachers, I stretch very thin. And I, I know that. I know that firsthand. I've worked in education. I, I understand how stretch thin teachers are. But you agree to something, you got to follow through. I mean, I would have been even understanding if it had been a month and a half, heck, even two months at that point, if they had at least opened it up. But no, three months in, nothing. So Sarah and I decide we're going to call an IEP meeting. So we, we chat about all the things. We have to go through everything. We finally bring up that we're frustrated that nobody's taken the training. And there's some back and forth and whatnot. And, and one of the items that really sticks out to me is somebody who was supposed to have taken the training says, well, the training you want us to take isn't even research-based. Okay. Okay, all right, fine. It's not research-based. I, I call foul on that, mainly because the reason we recommended the specific training is because it worked for us in our home. 
Sarah and I quickly realized that we were the ones who were limiting Zoe's communication experience and growth. They, we were we, we were treating her as if not even a, as an infant. Like, I don't even know how you would describe how much we were limiting her, Zoe's experience when it came to communication. And so we finally just understood the basics of what we should be doing. Like, all right, sure, it's not research-based, but you have proof in front of you in this meeting of it working for this child. So I start to get super antsy after this meeting. There's an agreement that the training is going to get done. And I'm, I'm happy that it's going to get done. But I'm I'm antsy and I'm like, okay, you, you really want to tell me that it's because it's not research-based, it's, it's not worthwhile. And now, mind you, up to this point, nobody had provided us with an alternative. Alternative, period. I'm not saying they didn't provide a comparable alternative. No alternative had been provided, okay? There, I'm happy to have a discussion about alternative trainings. There's plenty of other great trainings out there. I'm confident there's plenty of other great trainings out there regarding eye gaze that would be perfect for educators, but it hadn't been provided. So the next day, I start Googling. Not research, Googling. I know how to use a search engine. I don't do research. I don't know how to do research. I compile uh, stuff I find on the internet, and I say, this is what I have found. I'm, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. So I came across several bits of research, lots of research, in fact, in Sweden. And there were multiple universities that had research professors working on a number of items related to technology in the classroom with an emphasis of providing assistance to those with special needs. So pretty broad, uh, but in the grand scheme of things, very focused. Two individuals in particular stuck out. As I looked through their publications, I was blown away at the amount of focus they had put into education with those who have special needs. And I started looking through stuff, looking through stuff, looking through stuff, and I came across one. So this was a bit of research, peer-reviewed research that came out in 2019. The title of it, Teacher's Experience of using eye gaze controlled computers for pupils with severe motor impairments and without speech. Perfect. This is exactly what we need to what we need to look at in our situation. So, I'm going to read the abstract for you and I mean this is a scientific article, okay? <laughs> I read through all of it. Uh, that's that's how antsy I was regarding this whole thing. I read through a scientific research-based article, not something I normally do. I hate to admit it, I don't care for reading generally. And so for me to go through this from top to bottom, 
I was a big deal for me. So I'm going to go ahead and read the abstract for you because it's going to outline what the purpose of the study is. To explore teachers' experiences of using eye-gaze-controlled computers with pupils with severe disabilities, technology to control a computer with eye-gaze is, is, is a fast-growing field and has promising implications for people with severe disabilities. This is a new assistive technology and a new learning situation for teachers. Using a reflective life world approach, 11 teachers were interviewed twice. The essence of the phenomenon of teaching pupils who use an eye gaze controlled computer is to understand what the pupil does with a computer and relate this to what the pupil want pupil, excuse me, wants to express through the computer. The pupils will have emotions, wishes, and knowledge that are trapped in their own bodies. The eye gaze computer creates opportunities to get a glimpse of these thoughts to others and creates hope concerning the pupil's future possibilities. I'm struggling with pupils. I, I apologize. The teacher's responsibility is to try and understand what is inside the pupil's trapped body and what is a motivating factor to integrate the computer in everyday classroom activities. The results give directions for teaching and implementation of eye gaze computers in the school system and also suggest improvements that could be made to computers. This is a really long read. If you want to read it, I will link to it. I think it provides a lot of great information for parents. It's not something that you're going to read and walk away feeling nice and fuzzy warm from because it's a research article. It's very sanitized, but there's a lot of good information and great perspectives in it. At least that's what I came away understanding from it. There's a few quotes that I've pulled out from the results. So if you want to read through some of the methodology and how they went through it, they also publish the, the, the individuals, not the, not the identifying information about the individuals who participated in the study, but for example, nearly every single person participating in the study had cerebral palsy. Um, it's, uh, it's very interesting when you start getting into the weeds of the links that are on there. You can go on all sorts of tangents and, it, and it's really, really great and it's really fascinating. But if you choose to read it, buckle up. It's quite a bit. So here's a few things that stuck out to me. When this learning situation works smoothly, the educational process can be described as follows. The computer is invisible, intuitively controlled by the pupil, integrated in the school's everyday life, and mediating the pupils' knowledge, thoughts, and feelings to the teacher and other pupils. Once again, very sanitized way to describe what the purpose of the computer is, but when I read it, it, it simply reminded me of why Sarah and I wanted Zoe to have access to this technology. We, we don't know. We don't know what she's feeling without this computer. Yes, we can do low tech, 
But oh my heavens, it takes a long time using low tech. And Zoe, she is getting so smart using this device. And she's only had it for a couple of years now. And one of those years was not a good year. <laughs> and we got it right at the beginning of COVID. We got it right at the beginning of COVID and man, we did not use it well. It was not good. So the fact that she's been able to communicate with us effectively in such a short amount of time is, is just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Here's another quote. This one's a little bit longer. The teachers have high hopes that the eye gaze controlled computer is going to help the pupil in future schoolwork. They have already seen how the pupil can express emotions and demonstrate knowledge, both of which were previously hard to do. They also see how the computer could end the isolation and create a possibility to better communicate with those around the pupil. This creates an expectation that the computer today and in the future is going to be an important assistive device. Therefore, the teachers experience frustration when the pupil does not want to eye gaze control the computer. Sometimes there may be periods of weeks or months when the eye gaze controlled computer is only used occasionally. Quote, it went almost a half year and he never used the computer. Sometimes I tried, but I saw how his whole body said, no, absolutely not. It was just boring. End quote. The teachers say the reason for the dislike among the pupils is often that the teachers are too ambitious and the pupil has lost interest and in the enjoyment in controlling the computer. The teacher's expectations are not shared by the pupil, which makes the teacher disappointed and frustrated. One of the, I guess, restrictions, I guess, I think that's probably the best way to call it one of the restrictions that we put in place when it came to Zoe and using eye gaze at school is that she was not to use or be forced to use eye gaze in academic situations which when we first said that I think everybody was really confused about it but if they had taken the training they would have figured it out <laughs> Essentially, the reason why we didn't want them to use it for academics is we wanted we wanted the use of the computer to be a positive experience. And this is a prime example of how teachers, well-intentioned, well-intentioned teachers, make it so that the student doesn't want to. They see it as an extension of a test an extension of homework as opposed to a way to share their thoughts and feelings. And it was hard for them to understand what we meant by that. And when we sat down for our most recent IEP meeting and that was brought up and we shared that we, at home, we were using eye gaze for academics. Not that we were asking her, Zoe to answer, on her eye gaze, but simply that it was there. And if Zoe chose to use it, great. Otherwise we were doing low tech. We were focusing on low tech. And I think, 
I think everybody would have had a much more positive experience if not only Sarah and I had explained that, but also folks had gone through the training because that was part of it. Understanding that you don't want to discourage or not discourage. You don't want to make the the child feel like this computer is 100% educational based. You want it to be fun. You want it to be something that they enjoy using. One of the things that they talk about in the results of this research is that after going for weeks or months without using the device with the students in this in this study, what would they do? They would play games with it. They wouldn't do anything school related. And the whole idea was to get the student back to being excited to communicate. And if we can simply prevent <laughs> the the student from even getting to, to that point where they don't, they are not excited to to speak using their computer, I, I think that's for the best. Here's another quote. Although positive effects are described for ICT, which is Information and Communication Technology, did not know that before reading this, as a motivation factor for student and teacher, ICT interventions without support and training have limited effectiveness. So right there, it says that without training, without support, the effectiveness of that technology is limited. I will say there is more to that quote, and it does say that there is more research that needs to be done regarding what is needed. Uh, they gave an example in it that in clinics, when they provide the technology to the patient, they will give a precursory overview of what the technology is like, but it's really broad and it just is the absolute basics and that's not okay we need to we need to get into to more of the weeds with them but there there is more research that needs to be done about what is effective as far as training final quote although the teacher's role is important for encouraging students use of assistive technology, they are described as having inadequate professional pedagogical training to teach students with disabilities. That's not a knock on educators. That's not a knock on Zoe's teachers. That's not a knock on the teachers in this, in this uh, research. It was clear from quotes directly from the educators in the research that they knew where their limitations were. And that's okay. That's okay to not know everything. I have a wonderful friend. I'm going to get her on the podcast very soon. <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been bugging her about coming on for a while and we just haven't set up a date or time, but we will get her on. But it, we, we had a long conversation with her. She's a special education teacher. She has a master's. Very intelligent woman. And we shared with her some of the frustrations we were experiencing. And the biggest one that came out of the conversation that she and I were having was 
what it sounded like to her is in our situation right now with the most recent IEP meeting is that there were several individuals not willing to acknowledge blind spots. And whether that be willful blind spots or simply just don't know, it doesn't really matter. And I know that it's really easy to get caught up in, especially when, it, when you're talking about a career or something that you've invested all of yourself into, that it, it, it's connected to your identity and it can almost feel like an attack. And that's not at all what we've wanted when we've discussed this stuff with Zoe's educators. But I wish more people would be like my friend Amanda and would acknowledge blind spots and be okay that they have blind spots and be willing to learn. Now, to close everything out, I'll share this. And it's really exciting. I hope you get a chuckle out of it as well. A few weeks couple weeks after we had that meeting we got a phone call from one of the individuals who was supposed to be taking the training and she said that she was taking the training and Sarah said great I'm happy to hear she said yeah just just wanted to give you an update on that and then on a separate note she said Oh, I also wanted to share with you that Zoe had a really great day at school. Sarah asked what had happened. And this individual said, oh my gosh, she was on fire today when it came to reading. She spelled her name for the first time too. And silently, Sarah chuckled. And what she said was, oh, that's great. That's awesome. That's so good. What this individual doesn't know is that Zoe's been spelling her name for months. Months before this conversation. And it was all thanks to the training that we had experienced. Sure, it's not research-based. But if you can provide something that's research-based, let's use it. If you can't, let's use what's already working. Because if Zoe's able to spell her name thanks to the efforts of some individuals who have put in time and effort. And while, sure, they may not be researchers, they may not have that that uh, specific, I don't even know what it is that you need, a PhD. Just because they don't have that doesn't mean that what they've created is not worth it. very special episode of the Pretty Happy Podcast. We have a very special guest. It is my mother. Woohoo! Carrie Jolly. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> glad to support you and give you some information. Awesome. Okay. So, we are going to be getting a grandmother's perspective. Um 
which is really interesting because I know like as we were getting Zoe's diagnosis, you had input here and there, but we never really talked about like how you were feeling about things or, or whatnot. So here we go. And I have a box of tissues. <laughs> which I might need. <laughs> I have a box of tissues that I will probably need as well. So, um, when Zoe, so when Zoe first started regressing, what were your thoughts? Like, well, as a grandma slash, I also worked pediatrics for 19 years. So, um, I could tell there was something off, but didn't want to say anything. Yeah. Cause I, this was your first child and we were hitting all of those milestones initially. So I didn't want to burst a bubble. I didn't want to be the one to say, Hey, you know what? Um, you need to maybe get her checked. Yeah. But that, that year we also had two other grandchildren the same age. Yes. And so when we would get together for family stuff after about 18 months, it was very evident that there was something not right. Oh, yeah. It was it was very, very obvious. Yeah. So um, as a mom of you and a grandma of Zoe, you, you just kind of try and gingerly say, okay, you know, um, have you thought about? I was gonna say you you did that. I I tried to do that. I tried to do that, and the best words I've found for my adult children are, "Can I make an observation?" And then if they say yes, I can offer that information and then keep my mouth shut, which is sometimes hard to do. <laughs> or if they say no, then I just tuck it away, and maybe there's another time that we can. I think I was searching too. I think I was yeah. trying to help you search and trying to. Figure think out. what would help and have you looked at early intervention and have you, you know, yeah. um, can we try this? And cause I you know, know you, you gave me like, um, there, there was, there was one day you came with a list. You had like three or four things on this list and you were like, I had more than three you, or four. <laughs> have you thought of, I only remember three or four of them, but I, you were, there was a program. It was like a, it's a program that one of my coworkers' daughters ran, yeah. which was a neurobehavioral behavioral um, program yeah. in Ogden. Because I remember that. And then there was NAT, which is food allergy elimination, mm-hmm. to see maybe if that was causing some of the delay. And then there was also the MSA. There was acupuncture. There was um, cranial sacral therapy. Um, therapy, which we did entertain a couple of times well, we so, did it a little bit yeah when we could because mm-hmm. it was a distance for you to come yeah but you know and i i hand i think i remember handing it to you and saying i know you can't do all of these things at once you but did. yeah but maybe look at those and entertain those because i think you you know i don't you know at searching. that point yeah. you i was searching but i don't know if you were still searching or if you and your heart already knew that i don't know how far along in that process you were as far as um, early intervention, and it feels like it's almost like you hit a spot with early intervention that things were they yeah. were just kind of stagnating. We, we did. We hit a spot where nothing was really nothing was really happening anymore, and so it was like, 
okay, like she's not getting any better. She wasn't at one point. She wasn't getting any worse. Right. Right. And then she was. She started losing more more skills, but um, oh. but no, like I remember. I remember you you giving me this stuff and and you give it to me at different times too. And I know that some of the times I was like, I can't do this. And I would just right. Right. put it aside. Right. Um, and then there were other times that like we tried the the cranial sacral therapy. It seemed um, to calm her down at that point a little bit. Um but yeah. she wasn't she was Still young enough, she wasn't doing. She had her hand motions, but she wasn't doing a lot of. I mean, because she could yeah. walk. Yeah, she was walking at that point, but not talking. No, not talking per se. But as a grandma, as far as feelings and emotions, you know, you always. It's a good thing you put the tissues there. It's a you always. I mean, you. I don't know, the relationship is different from a daughter and a son. Yeah. Right? But you always hope and aspire. You know, you have your own little, um, not expectation, but like vision, vision for... of what you want for your grandkids, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you always, um, I think that as a grandparent, you go through not as much as a parent, but you still go through all of those, you know, denial and anger and yeah. frustration. The, the grief process. Yeah, 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 I think you do. Um, so I don't think I tailored events to Zoe, you no. know, when we had family parties and stuff, but um, um, I don't know, you just... I don't even know how to explain. I think you become more aware of the things that you're doing or like when we would Can do we things. adapt it exactly. to we, include We her. would do family things and you, I like I know you would be more, you were more aware of, well, is Zoe going to be able to, to participate in that? Right. And if not, how can we make it happen? Make it yeah. so that she can, so that she can, yeah. you know, be a yeah. part of the activities that, everybody else is a part of yeah and you being the youngest as well in the family yeah and having younger kids because the well i guess jesse and sean um there's like they're like zoe and peter or zoe and sammy yeah but um i don't know i just think we had more we tried to be more of a resource um, not a resource, but a, a support. support. Yep. Well, Just you guys were and are. I shouldn't say were. You guys are. <laughs> <laughs> it is not past tense. Yeah. Um, no, but you guys are because, you know, even like when we were, when we were going through the process of getting her diagnosis, whenever we needed a babysitter, you or Marta, Sam's mom, you guys were always ready to just jump in and right. do you need me to watch the kids right. while you do this appointment? Do you need right. this? Do you need that? Like you were always really good about um, just being available for us right? to be able to like whatever we needed. You just, I'll come sleep on your couch while you go do this appointment. <laughs> like <laughs> um, come to the house for a 24 hour EG or yeah. 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 
it does. It takes a, you know, we just didn't want you to be out there, yeah. you know, searching yourselves, which, which knowing that it's your child, I don't have stewardship over Zoe yeah. directly, you know. I feel like we we do indirectly, but not, I mean, she's your child and nobody knows her better than her yeah. parents, right? Yeah. So um, the fact that uh, you went and got testing and started the testing process, I was, I was more peaceful when you, because you did some testing prior to the. We did. You yeah. did like a so, trisomy. No, uh-uh. it did, was a. Oh, oh! I guess we would you. They were thinking mosaic. Yeah, they? yeah, mosaic trisomy twenty one is. We did do that test. Yeah, but you initiated um, that and started testing, and I so. Did. Um, I guess I felt like you know, you're utilizing the resources that you needed, at the time, and we just yeah. needed to help support. Yeah. Because we did we did that testing, and then we also did a. We did a cheek, a cheek swab or a saliva, it was a saliva test, um, and that all came back uh, normal. Normal. Yeah. So we were like, okay, well, now it's what? a process, <laughs> process of elimination <laughs> yeah. with all those tests. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm curious though, because so the day that we went to the genetics clinic the first time, I had told all of our family, you know, we probably. This is just a consultation with the genetics clinic. We probably won't get any, you know, real answers or anything. So don't, you know, don't be expecting anything. Um, I had told everybody that before we went because I know a lot of people were like, okay, you're finally in. You're going to get answers. And it was like, no, maybe not. Like, you know. Um, And you were actually at home watching Sammy. You were at our house watching Sammy when we went when Sam and I went to the genetics clinic with Zoe. And I'm curious if you suspected anything when we got home. Well, I don't I don't totally remember that that time. There were two times that I remember. Uh-huh. Um because I don't remember if she was put on they wanted to put her on medication before or after that. It was before no, it was after that. It was after that. Okay. So no, I didn't I didn't you didn't suspect anything. Suspect anything at that point. But I remember you had a cranial um appointment and there was a wreck on the freeway. The cranial appointment was up in Logan. Oh yeah. You lived in West Jordan and you had to cancel it. And I remember you getting a phone call. Oh we yeah. had met at Costco or someplace like Ogdenish. Yeah. And um, then you started drilling me on questions about Wendy and her diabetes and said, how do you handle it? How do you do it? How do you, and you got really teary eyed. I remember that. I remember that. Well, because I was wondering. And so I didn't know if that was like, at that point, I didn't know if that was the initial diagnosis or that Mm -hmm. was, that was the neurologist saying you need to put her on medication because she probably having seizures. That was, Yeah. Yeah, that was that was our phone call saying, you know, there's definitely something going on. Brainwaves. With her brainwaves. And we wanted they wanted to put her on, on medication. And I 
at the time I was struggling with like balancing the the not knowing because they they suspected seizures but they didn't actually see any seizure activity. activity so it was do we put her on the medication mm-hmm. hoping that if she is having seizures it controls it or do we not put her on the medication hoping she's not having seizures and that that's her baseline right she would have those little shaking episodes uh-huh. though Right, she did, which but um, at the time, at the, the time, the neurologist that we were working with, he suspected that they were seizure activity. Right, but he, I mean, I not, and I, I don't. He's a, he was a good neurologist. He just didn't know everything. Right, right. right. So he he was making the best decision with the knowledge he had. With the knowledge he had, yeah. right. Yeah. Um. He wasn't an expert in rat syndrome. He was just a pediatric neurologist. Right. So, um, so we we ended up putting her on the Keppra. Right. And then the other time, uh-huh. you and Sam had just gotten to camp, and you were supposed to give her her first dose, or she was, or we had refilled the medication or something, and you stood at the doorway of your cabin with the Keppra. It was because I had forgotten. I had forgotten it or something. No, there was something in the bottle. Oh, there was a floaty, was a floaty or something in the bottle. That's right. But that was, I think, that was her first dose. It wasn't. Okay. It wasn't her first dose, but there was a floaty in the bottle. Right, but you didn't want to give. No. Regardless of the floaty, I could see you struggling to give it to her. Well, because I, I didn't know what the floaty was. I know. There but was there is not supposed to be floaties in this right, medication. <laughs> but there was more contemplative. You stood at the doorway a long time. Well, yeah, because what do I do? I'm like, my so, child is potentially having seizures. I've got floaties in the medication. I'm how I, far away from? I'm how far away from <clears throat> our, our pharmacy because we were living in the mountains at the time for right. Sam's job. So... It was like, okay, now now what? Because I've got two kids here. Do I pack them all up? Do I take them back yeah. so that we can get new yeah. medication? See, and I we... guess I interpreted that as oh, I really man. didn't want to. Not aside from the floaty, my gut feeling was she really shouldn't be on it is yeah. what I was getting from you. Well, I didn't know. Right. There was always, every time I gave it to her, there was always a, does she really need this? Right. Am I medicating my child for no reason? But in the end, for me, it came down to, you know, if she is having seizures, I would rather have them controlled than not. And I was asking all the questions of, can you be weaned off of this? Is it going to be... You know, yeah. she's going to have to be on it for life. And I, I was just supplying you well, with you more questions the- <laughs> than, than you probably wanted well, no, at that point. No, but I think at that point, like, you were giving me the questions that I needed to ask but wasn't able to get past the emotional side of things yeah. to get to the medical questions. Yeah. So, so I did appreciate those questions when you asked them to me because I was like, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a really good thing to know. Yeah. Um, but I think... You know, for me, it came down to I, I, I want the seizures controlled if she is having them, and 
at the time, it wasn't until she got off the medication that I realized how much it was changing her, her personality. personality. Um, or it was subduing her personality. Because I didn't notice it at first. Like, right. I really didn't notice because it was really, really gradual. And she didn't have, like, a lot of big outbursts or anything like that. Well, she's a pretty mellow little girl. Always happy. Yeah. When she did cry, it was heartbreaking <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> this poor little frowny face. Because oh, she didn't she cry unless she was, was really, really hurt and Really upset. upset. Yeah. 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 But yeah. on the, the other th- thought is that you had also done EMT. It was. Yeah. Right? And so you were also medical too. So you've got that struggle in you to, uh-huh. you know. What hat am what, I wearing right now? Right. Right. Am I wearing and the medical when hat? When it all boils down to it, hat? you have to be a mom. Yeah. You have to be a mom. And it's good to ask the questions. It's good to know the questions to ask, but you have to be a mom. Yeah. So I'm also curious. Did you know about Rett syndrome before Zoe was diagnosed? Nope. I did not. Interesting. I did not. I don't recall any. I worked like primary, ch- primary children's for 19 years, and I don't remember any child coming in with Rhett. But my question, having worked with kids and kids with special needs, um, was how many Rhett kids are just dumped under the autism umbrella i just call it an umbrella because you know whether it's because of financing or 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 docs doing the best they can with the knowledge they have or just don't know or just not out there and aware of it um and in my other clinic that i worked at there's a one gal that her mom said she developed fine until she had her hepatitis b and then she she just lost everything Mm -hmm. But her tendencies are very, very mm. rat tendencies. And she's she's now in her 25, yeah. 20, 25 to 30 range. But it's the the hand mm-hmm. movements and the, the rocking. And, yeah, so I thought a lot about her. And, and at one point I was going to talk to the mom, but then um, we never connected after that. And then, yeah. then I had quit. But... I think there's a lot of kids that just got put under that umbrella. Yeah. Um, and I know testing is expensive. It you is. Know? So it's hard, but but you got to have the right, just kind of have the right direction. Right. It makes it so much easier when you actually know what's going on rather than just, well, let's try, try this. this. Let's try that. Let's, you know. Yeah. 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 And How did go ahead? Oh, I was. No, you. you I well, I was just gonna say it. It you know the fact that you were doing something. Yeah. Helped me as a grandma, you know. But I always wanted to make sure that I was trying to not undo what you guys were doing. You know, I wanted <laughs> yeah. to be involved. I wanted to. Okay, this is what we're doing, and you cut up her pieces, and she can do it with her. You know. Yeah. Um, cut up her pieces of her food smaller and stuff like that. And so, and that was even before diagnosis. I wanted yeah. to know, okay, what are we working on? And yeah. Yeah. And we tried, I mean, I feel like we tried really hard to make sure that anybody, any family that was, you know, around her at all knew, like, this is the, this is the things that we're working on in therapy. 
we're going to do this and this and this to try and help with this or that. Right. And I feel like we, I mean, I feel like we did a pretty good job of making sure that, you know, whenever we went to somebody's house, okay, this is the new, <laughs> right. this is where we are right now. <laughs> right, like, right. And you did. You do yeah. and you do now. Yeah. I mean, we try to, to make sure everybody's all on the same page. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I'm, I'm curious, how did you feel when Zoe got her diagnosis? Like, I know you said you felt calm. But what else did you, because I'm sure there was more than just a little bit of direction and calm. Well, a little bit of direction and calm. But like I said before, you know, we all go through that process. We all, and you not only hurt for the child, but you hurt for your child. Yeah. You know, and I don't know how to explain it. It's just, a, you know, you always want it better for your own kids. And you have this vision of what you would like it to be. And I believe in my heart that each generation improves on the last one. But um, as much fun as we've had at family parties, I always feel sad that Zoe can't comprehend it. You know, we, we let her experience it. We let her get in the water at Bear Lake and in a tube, and we let her experience it. But it's that... She shows joy when she's happy. She shows joy. But it's hard to, it's hard to not know that she's really not, I mean, she's all there. She's a sassy little five-year-old. <laughs> she is. <laughs> um, it's hard to know that, that the connection's not there and that, you know. It's hard to see her not enjoying it the same way that everybody, everybody else. else is. Yeah. You know, so that is hard. That is hard, but I I think that, like I said, it's hard to see your kids struggle. You don't want them to struggle. Yeah. And yet struggle makes us stronger. And, um, you know, the things that you have ahead of you, but I also know that things were put in place for you. Hindsight, 2020, right? That... <laughs> Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty. No, no COVID intended. Um, <laughs> twenty twenty vision is is just you know. Oh, so maybe that's why we were supposed to move to Colorado because you moved to Colorado before you got that diagnosis, didn't you? No. Well, we had we had <coughs> um, we had already decided, and we were. We hadn't Sam's, moved yet. You hadn't moved, but you had Sam had a job in Colorado yeah. before you yeah. got the diagnosis, and you know, um, moving from there to here. But all of the opportunities and the the programs and everything, you know, there's, yeah. um, you were definitely led to <laughs> led to Colorado, yeah. <clears throat> which also brings a tug of heartstrings to your. <laughs> Being a grandma, <laughs> being a long-distance grandma is hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, okay, I say yeah, it is, but I'm not the grandma in that. In that situation. But, you know, you always you always try and you always want and you always, yeah, you know, just try and be there. Yeah. How, how has having Zoe in the family changed your vision of of the family 
because you know you said you had a vision of how things potentially were going to be with your grandkids and your family how has having Zoe changed that um well you know having (laughs) well having those three all together you know I grew up with cousins that we met at Chroma Miller's every Sunday and we played and we did dress ups and we did all sorts of things, you know? And so watching the other two that are that age and Zoe, it's like you didn't want her to get left behind. You know, you you wanted to be able to have them understand. And I think innately they do. Kids are pretty accepting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't having Zoe has been in our family has been more I don't I'm not gonna say an adjustment. We just Well it is. It's an adjustment. <clears throat> well, yeah, because but I don't look at it as an adjustment. It's like well, I take that back. I do, because when when you guys are coming, I make sure that the fireplace hearth is protected you know it's more because <laughs> yeah. we're not we're not baby proof by any means yeah so it is an adjustment to have her have her come and be there but part of that is just that we're not baby proof but the other part of it is the other kids are conscious of the rocks in front of the fireplace mm-hmm. and and you know so we have to um alter that a little bit but having her in our family i think has taught not only me as a grandma but um it's taught not only me as a grandma being more conscious of maybe people in our ward family that have kids that are special needs. Um, so when the dad's singing in the choir and the mom's having trouble wrangling a toddler and a little one in the wheelchair that, you know, you just get up and go over and help. Yeah. Um, um, so... I think that's helped me be a little bit more aware, but I also, um, she's just, she just is, it's the simple love that she shares. Just her smile and her bright eyes and the sassy grin that she gives (laughs) when she's teasing you. She teases you a lot. (laughs) <laughs> yes, she does, because sometimes I don't take the yes and no cues very uh, very well. I'm out of practice, and she takes advantage of that a lot. Yes, she so, does. So, <laughs> um, you know, I just think that it's just a pure love, and yeah. you can't, you know, she it they attract people. They are gatherers, if you would. Um. Their smile, their, and it's not just attracting because they're special needs. Yeah. They just shine. So, you know, in that respect, I, for me as a grandma and um, in our family, it's just like, I can't talk about her enough. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not that I don't love my other grandchildren, because I do when I spend time with them, but it's different. It's just a different, I don't know, it's just different. She's also wanted me to, or she's she's initiated my interest to be able to always, like, communicate with her. Mm -hmm. 
so um, not proficient by any means, but at least I try. I, I get on her Toby and I try and go through the pages and she flips through those pages faster than I can even answer the first question. <laughs> She's got nine questions, you know, but um, so it stretches us. Yeah. It stretches us, stretches our hearts. It does. 100% it does. Yeah. So. How, how do I want to phrase this question? What? Mm, nope. That's not it either. <laughs> um, <coughs> how have you seen Zoe changing me and Sam? That's going to be a hard question as far as Sam goes because we got married really quick and had Zoe really fast. <laughs> Yeah, but, but you told us you were going to have kids really fast, so I didn't think anything about that. Yeah, but how how do you think having Zoe's changed us? Yeah, well, you might have to skip that question on my brain. Think about that for a minute, but I mean, it caused you to grow up a lot, be yeah. dumped into a, a big kettle, <laughs> big deep kettle, right? Yeah. Um, But... I'm gonna say you and Sam were outspoken. I mean, if you if you felt strongly about something, you voiced an opinion. But it's different when you watch your kids have to now advocate for a, a little one that can't, right? Yeah. Um. So I think in that respect, it's opened up your world too, to help the rest of the family and teach the rest of the family that, you know. Maybe we should be aware of this or that or the other. You guys have always been very inclusive with people in general. Yeah. Um, in fact, we were I was talking about that with somebody the other day, just because of where we lived when you were little, but where we went to school and even our Germany experience when we went to Germany and you were very accepting of everybody. You know, it didn't matter if they were officer military or just active military or civil service or whatever the kids or the the you know friends that you ran with you were just very accepting um it's i see you search a lot but you search a lot anyway try new things you always you always tried new things you always you know yeah thought well maybe there's a better way to do it and um i think it has The things that I see you do on outwardly, it's what experiences can we provide Zoe and the rest of our family, yeah. you know? And so long-term perspective, I think that that probably, um, I don't know, maybe that changed, maybe that didn't. Because you all, I mean, as a mom and a, uh, dad you have a, a vision of what you think your life will be like too yeah. right <laughs> and when that changes then do you just give up or you just say um it's not that we can't it's how how do we make it happen yeah right 
So yeah. I think you guys, like I said, I think you guys grew up fast, especially, you know, newly married, baby, a year later, and then, you know, two other kids besides. Yeah. And having to open your hearts to to make it all happen. Yeah. I think the strong point for both of you is that you always talk about everything. We do. We try to. Yeah. Well, no. We try to. You try to. You try to. But the big things, you guys always, well, let me check yeah. with Sam or let me check with Sarah. Or, you know, it's always, you know, like I said, you're always trying to find a way to make it happen and not... Not just say... Just say, oh, well, this is us. You know, this is just the way we are. Yeah. But it's like, well, why can't we take her rock climbing? Or why can't <laughs> we, you know, let's make it work, yeah. you know? Give her yeah. those experiences, so... um, It's a service that you... It's... It's a service that you don't necessarily want to have to provide sometimes, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, but that's fair. it's a service that um, changes you, yeah. changes your heart when you have to care for something or someone, um, and that you're not the priority, but they are. Yeah, that's true. Well, my face is all wet now. <laughs> so thanks for that. You're welcome. I needed to wash thanks my face. Thanks for my face being wet. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Zoe's awesome. She is. She's amazing. <laughs> she's amazing, that girl is. She just, she's very intuitive and knows what, she knows how you're feeling if you're not even talking to her. She can sense that. Yeah, she can. So, yeah, she's concerned that everybody's genuinely concerned that everybody's okay. Yeah, she is. She's a sweetheart. Well, thank you very much, Carrie, Mom, Grandma, Mana, <laughs> all of your many names. Thank you for sharing your perspective on being a grandma to Zoe and mom to parents of Zoe um I've liked this, this I've been, been crying good. a lot but it's been good it's been good <laughs> I'm grateful that you asked me Big thank you to my mother-in-law for coming on and sharing her thoughts and feelings. And of course, thank you to Sarah for taking on that interview as well. She had to fly solo for that one. And so it's been kind of a weird episode so far. <laughs> me flying solo at the beginning, her taking on the middle section, and me closing out the very end. But that's kind of just the way we roll sometimes. <laughs> Well, it's now time for Can't Leave It. Can't Leave It. Normally Sarah does that part, but I had to do it all by myself. Very weird. Well, my Can't Leave It is that recently I have reconnected with a passion that I 
connected with in 2018. Go back to 2018. I, I don't know what's happening in 2018 outside of my own world experience. <laughs> but what I can tell you is at that time, a masterpiece in video game experiences was released. A sequel to my favorite video game of all time, Red Dead Redemption 2, was released in 2018. Now, for those of you that don't know, Red Dead Redemption is a very interesting game in that it has a lot of similar experiences to a Grand Theft Auto, but it's Western. It's in the early 20th century, late 19th century. But I'll tell you what, I played that sequel and I, oh, I fell in love with it. The storytelling, phenomenal. In fact, Sarah isn't very big into video games. No, nay. No, she does not care for video games at all. But when I got Red Dead Redemption 2, started playing it, and she would walk by and she'd see some of the stories happening, and all of a sudden, she's sitting down next to me. And she's watching the story unfold. And she's engaged and excited about it. She fell in love with it. And I couldn't play without her around. That's how much she loved the story of Red Dead Redemption. Uh, two, excuse me. Red Dead Redemption 2. It was amazing. And I... I've played it on and off since then. I I ran through all the missions and the experiences. I did not, I completed the story, but I did not do everything. And so about a month and a half, two months ago, I started turning on my Xbox again. Oh man, so many memories came flooding back. I got so excited about it. So that's what I've been doing as of late. I don't do any online gaming, so if you're thinking about connecting with me uh, through online gaming, unfortunately, that is not for me. Never has been. I, I, I just don't care to do that stuff. I've, I've tried. I've tried uh, also watching uh, online some stuff through uh, Twitch streaming and all that, but I, I don't know. You, you kind of just figure out what your what your niche is and you kind of just really lean into that. And that's what it's been for me. So anyways, red dead redemption. And with that, we want to thank you for joining us on this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast so that you are notified when we publish episodes, which is every other Monday morning. Please leave us a rating, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a message or a question on the Anchor app, and you can become part of the show. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at PrettyHappyPod, where we share episode clips, news and updates, and the occasional photos of our adorable daughter. If you would like to be interviewed on our show, reach out to us on any of our social media accounts, or send us an email at prettyhappypod at gmail.com. For more information about Rett Syndrome, visit our website. <laughs>